Welcome to the Jesus Wave podcast. I'm your host, Jack Zappa. Today I have on a very special guest, Chris George. Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself to get started here. Hello. Uh, I'm a history major at Johnson University. I am a senior uh, this year, and uh, I'm a twin. Fun fact. I didn't even know that. Yeah, she's four minutes older than me, and she never lets me live it down. Uh, I like to... I like to read. I'm a huge reader. I like to run. I like to just be outside. Uh, I'm a Gemini. I, you know. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Anyway, Chris is a very, very good runner. I don't know Tell about us about that. the story really quick one time where you ran a marathon and why you did it. Okay. Uh, so back in 2000, how long ago was that? 2016. Um, I was a youth leader at my church back home in Indiana and, uh, I had a, I had a youth student. He came up to me one day. He, he's somebody that I mentored pretty heavily for mm -hmm. a year and a half at that point. But in about April of 2015 or 2016, he came up to me. We were volunteering at our church one morning <laughs> and all of a sudden <laughs> out of the blue, he just, he, he's just like, Hey, Hey Chris, I have a crazy idea for us but you have to say yes before I tell you. <laughs> and so obviously it's like red flag. What does that mean? And I said, okay, sure, whatever. And he's like, uh, we're going to run a marathon. <laughs> and I thought, okay. <laughs> and so for, we were, it was actually pretty, it pretty was, was pretty good. Uh, the timing of it, because we were 26 away from 26 weeks away from the trip. Mm. And I found a 26 week long training program online and, we did it. We ran the marathon, Indianapolis Marathon. He actually was 15 at the time. You had to be wow. 16. You had to be 16 to run the race, but his birthday was like three or four days after the actual race, so they let him run. So we did. We did a marathon. It was it was fun. It was challenging, but I, well, mean, that's, I survived. That's the kind of person Chris is. He'll just do anything <laughs> anyone asks him to do. And one of those things is he took a trip to Greece. So give us like. I don't know, just a few minute rundown on kind of why you went, what you were doing there. And then after that, we'll kind of get into the refugee situation there. So we went to Greece back in uh, late February, early March of this year, 2020. And uh, back in 2000, the, the winter of 2018, my friend went on this trip and she had invited me to go with her back then. Uh, but I had decided to forego that and just, you know, stay back home over the winter break and volunteer at my kindergarten I used to work at. And then uh, a couple years, I mean, a year passed by. She she went over the the New Year's from 2018 mm -hmm. to 2019. And <clears throat> later on in 2019, this obviously this past year, back in December, uh, she had she had plans to, you know, want to go back and reenter and go back to Moria, which is the refugee camp in Greece that we're talking about. And uh, she had invited me because she remembered that I was interested the first time. Well, she invited me to go back and we had left February the 28th or the 29th, one of the two. And then we came back March the 11th. We were there for about 10 days and, and it, it was, it was a pretty, <laughs> it was a pretty interesting trip. And I'm th very mm -hmm. thankful that we got to do that. It was more of a, out of a desire just to go and help in whatever capacity yeah. to, we could help in. Um, tell us about the situation you came back to. Because I remember the first time I saw you when you came back, 
we were pretty much getting ready to move out. Mm-hmm. Like we were in the dorms and I just saw you right there and I was like, oh my gosh, Chris is back. I wonder if he even knows all this is going on. Uh-huh. We got back uh, a Tuesday. Well, we, we landed back in Indianapolis on Monday night, March the 10th, I think, if, if that was the Monday, whatever the Monday was. And then the next day we, kept, we came back to Johnson, uh, my friend Kenton and I, who went on the trip. And uh, we got back, <laughs> we got back around the afternoon, probably around 3 p.m. or something like that. And I got to see all my friends again. It was a really great time. I think that's when I saw you. And then the very next day, probably around 10 o'clock or 11 in the morning on that Wednesday, we <laughs> we got that glorious email saying, hey, everybody, <laughs> spring break starting early. Pack your bags. Uh, be out of the dorms by Saturday or whatever it was. And so I just I was gone from Johnson for about two weeks. Mm-hmm. I was gone from late February to pretty much that day. And then the next day I get back you know, we all get asked to leave. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, what the heck? I, you know, I, I've missed my friend for two weeks and then my friends for two weeks and then I come back and then mm-hmm. we're all dismissed yeah, again. Um, so let's get back on the refugee <clears throat> topic. What would you say ref- refugees in Greece specifically are running from and why? Because I'm not very informed on the situation over there other than what you've told me, obviously, and what I've read in your kind of letter you sent. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know a lot about that situation. Refugees, so for about a few years now, four or five years, refugees have always, I mean, perpetually have been in flight. We, I mm-hmm. mean, hello, this is a story of refugees. We have a book of Exodus that tells us yeah. that as well. And so refugees, it's nothing new. It's nothing new in society. It's not something that just, you know, we just become suddenly aware of. But the refugee, the refugee crisis in particular in Greece is very, well, it's, it's tragic. It's um, you have thousands of people that are displaced from their homes and, and typically in the Middle East, like country countries like Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, yeah. Iraq, Iran, <clears throat> but also in uh, Africa, met some people from Nigeria and uh, South Africa too, all the way down to the, you know, the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa. How are the people from Nigeria? Are they nice? <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I, used, I, uh, I took a trip to Africa and I met people from Nigeria uh-huh. and they put locks in my hair. Oh, did they? Down to like my elbows. Your hair was that long? It was, well, my hair was like down to my shoulders width area sure. and they got some hair on the street. Okay. Which I don't really know where it came from. And uh, they said hey. they would put it in my hair. And I uh, said, okay. Why not? <laughs> and so I didn't yeah. figure out until I left, I was supposed to pay them. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> <So I> never, <laughs> that's like, yeah. They, I never paid them. But that just reminded me of that. Yeah. Story. And actually in the refugee camp, uh, they, they had this thing called the three, two, one haircut. It's the, it's like the style for refugee, like, you know, teenagers and youths and all that. Refugee drip. Yeah, it really, it is. <laughs> it's like a, you fade from a three to two or a three to two to one. Yeah. A fade up. And again, you're, you know, it's like you're expected to pay afterwards, but you don't know about that going into it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, so refugees are fleeing uh, perpetual dangers that they're always adrift in. Most uh, the, now I met a lot. Most of the refugees in the camp, Camp Moria. Let me tell you, there's 19,000 people there. It's only supposed to hold 3,000 people. Oh, my God. So it is quite literally it's bursting at the seams. Yeah. Um, what was once a temporary housing area for people to funnel into Greece, into the island of Lesvos, and then go out into the rest of Europe, Germany, England, France, Austria, everywhere, um, has now become more of a permanent 
household. It's a it's a permanent like community, and quite literally, it's a community. It's a city at this point. And uh, people will go in there with the expectation of leaving, but unfortunately, with the asylum rules, and we'll get into that later, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's just very difficult for people to leave. And so refugees are fleeing their home areas, uh, like I said, in Middle East and Africa, for various reasons. Uh, I mean, you know, in Africa, or in, whether it's in Africa or the Middle East, you always have some type of uh, climate disaster. Uh, droughts are very occurrent. Um, you know, famine as well, but also uh, military destruction. I, many youths in that camp, most, like I said, most of the uh, humans in that camp are young men and young boys. Yeah. And why would they be fleeing? Well, they don't want to get conscripted by mm -hmm. ISIS or the Taliban. And so many of them are fleeing those areas so they don't have to serve in those, uh, in those organizations. So inside of the camp that you stayed at, what would you say the main problem that they're facing is like in the situation that they're in? Because they think they're they're fleeing from a bad situation to a very good situation. Mm -hmm. And in, in reality, they probably are. But they're also fleeing into a rough situation. One of the saddest one of the saddest things about it, there's there's this culture and I'm not too familiar with it, but there's this culture of it's, it's called a shame culture. Basically, what that means is if you go into a place, if you tell people that you're going to do something or you go to somewhere and you're going to make this X amount of dollars or what kind of life you want to live and you don't actually end up doing that, like something just happens. Whatever. Yeah. So let's just use a refugee, for example. A refugee is going to Camp Moria to get to Europe and live the best life that they can live. Mm -hmm. If they don't get to that, you know, the shame culture to them tells them they can't they don't tell people back home they don't tell oh. their family they don't tell their friends so they because, still think that's possible and that's exactly right yeah and hmm. because of that because they don't want they don't want to be ashamed by their family or their uh relationships back home and so they they don't say anything and then, so then what happens is people in these bad situations don't know that they're walking into a situation where they'll be stuck in stagnant for a long that's time. That's true. And then they keep on coming and... And, and, and no one leaves. Yeah. So I think one, I mean, biggest, the biggest thing that we need to learn is uh, one of the biggest things that they need is representation, but not, not necessarily representation of... They, they have voices. They need, they need mm -hmm. people to share their voices, but they need people to witness and they need people to be able to tell the stories of refugees. So can I talk about that for just a second? Yes. So I went, like I said earlier, I went on a trip to Africa and I went on that in 2017 and I'm 20 now. So that was three years ago, I guess, uh, three years ago this month, actually. And that trip, I didn't like really baptize anyone. I didn't witness to anyone really. But you actually said something to me last week that really opened my eyes to why I went on that trip. It was, we needed to be witnesses to people here. So we just go to experience, and then we go back to tell those stories. So I wanted you to talk about that a little bit mm -hmm. and how that idea came into your head. Because when you told me that, that really struck me. Uh, going on this trip, and I make it make pretty explicit in my memo that I sent out, it's, it's not a matter of... I, I, didn't, I did not go on this trip to, you know baptize people. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't go to baptize. And that didn't even, that didn't even up, end up happening. I didn't go to preach a Sunday sermon. <clears throat> I went to be a witness. 
and I, you know the quote that I mentioned last week in that book that I, I can't remember. I wish I had it with me. Yeah. But to, but to be a witness to to go to those positions, not with the expectation of oh I'm going to change the world, not to be anybody's savior, not to not to, evangel evangelism in this case wasn't the primary concern. The primary concern was to meet the people's needs where they're at because people aren't going to know Jesus until they their needs are actually met. Mm -hmm. Okay. They got food on the table. They got clothes on their body. They got water to drink. You know, you can preach Jesus all you want to them, but they're not, they're, they will not be active participants in that conversation if their basic needs are met. Yeah. And their basic needs need to be met by people witnessing and going to these positions and being in that community and then coming back to sharing those stories so that other people can learn about it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I'd like to talk about some social injustice issues. Is that okay? Yeah. Can we, can we go ahead and get into that? So specifically the racism, riots, um, George Floyd, I have a story I'd like to share from this weekend, but I know that you kind of came out of the refugee camp and then you came back into school and everything got shut down and then you lived through that for a month and then the social injustice started happening. But you're probably one of the smartest, most insightful people I know about this issue. And that's one of the main reasons I wanted you to come on and talk about that because you know how to word this much better than I do. So what are your thoughts on kind of everything that's happened in that situation? Um... <clears throat> So you're right. I came back to America <laughs> and everybody had left. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty much I was just in my room alone for about six, seven, <laughs> six or seven. Yeah, Chris weeks. still lives at school alone, yeah. by the way. He didn't he never went back. <laughs> I, I never went back except for the, a couple of weekends ago. I went home for my birthday. But yeah, uh, no. Yeah, I, I, I was there and it was a very challenging time. But it it caused me to. Like, just take a step back on this. I, I really do think that something something that we can benefit from this something that we can look as a benefit of the pandemic is the the pausing that we must do in our lives mm -hmm. to really reevaluate what we put forth and so uh, upon this upon the happening i think it's uh, it's gonna be a month tomorrow three or four not three definitely four or five weeks tomorrow <clears throat> when george floyd was uh was murdered in minneapolis and uh so the social the social injustices that come out of the, the the recognition of the social injustices it's not new it's been happening for hundreds of years uh, the the quote is racism isn't getting worse it's just being filmed hmm. uh, we're just becoming yeah. more we're just becoming more aware of it it's uh, i was talking to my pastor this morning a little bit about that you know it's it's becoming the implied racism is more we are more aware of it now because of the fact that we have the technology to, yeah. to look at it through a different lens. And so uh, you, you recognize social injustice and we have a few options to how we can, how we can go about that. And I, I, this is an exhaustive list, but there's a few that I, I think about. The first one is we can do absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. We can just sit and allow it to occur. And, and watch and then we question why isn't anything being done about it whenever it's yeah. like well we have hands we can use those the second thing is uh a a sad disposition a mournful disposition which we need to have we need there needs to be that lament there needs to be biblical lament over the challenges that we are facing why on earth is this happening we need to wrestle we need to question God we need to have our own like we need to have our own coming our reckoning 
and it's okay to question God. It's we need to have our reckoning with why why is this stuff happening? And the Lord will come in through his grace and and show us what we can do about the situation. The third one of the third ones is um anger. <laughs> and unfortunately that's where I tend to put my that's where I I tend to camp out camp yeah. out in. And the anger uh, and not that the other two, the first one definitely doesn't do anything. The second one might lead to a little bit more. The, the, and the anger part <laughs> is whenever we just get tired of the systems of oppression mm-hmm. and we go out to change it. We, we, we're, we're tired of sitting by, we go out and we present to be a witness to, not necessarily to the people, the, the struggle, the people who struggle, uh, in this case, blacks who struggle against racist systems, system, systemic racism, but also as a witness to the gospel. Like I mentioned earlier, um, I used to I used to think it was a uh, a race thing. I used to think it was like a black versus white thing. Mm-hmm. I used to think it was a Republican versus Democrat thing. Yeah. And it, it's quite literally a good versus evil thing. It's true. <clears throat> systemic racism, racism in general, is an evil. It's, it's an evil uh, identity that, that we assume, okay? And then at, with, the assumption, with the assumption that we have to come to terms with um, white-skinned, white privileged, um, we, we need to wrestle with that, <laughs> yeah. wrestle well uh, with the Lord, and, and then we change our minds. We, we start to think about how we can better society, better the lives of others, and then we put that into practice. It doesn't do well just to muse about it and then just to like just sit it inside of us. That 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 that's stale. The 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 seed doesn't grow at that point. Yeah. You need to water that seed by action as well. So let's talk about action for a second. What have you done action wise? Because I know you've done a lot action wise. Um, there's a the, there's a few things. Um, I'll, I'll talk about what we all can do. Okay. Um, just just to paint it as a picture. So what, what actions can be is we can donate, mm-hmm. uh, to nonprofit organizations, uh, such as equal justice initiative, um, which if you watch the movie, just mercy, Brian Stevenson, the attorney in that movie, he runs that organization. Uh, it's a, it's a wonderful, the, the memorial that they have in Montgomery, Alabama will make you weep. Mm-hmm. Um, you can donate to nonprofits, uh, a few of them, uh, the NAACP, another one. You just keep yeah. on donating. Um, we can go. We can use our voices proactively. Go to protests. Uh, in fact, actually, you know, Juneteenth was a couple of Fridays ago. But all, I mean, even with Juneteenth, uh, like they make a good point. How many of us knew about Juneteenth growing, going into this? I didn't past know about it weeks, even past couple months. Two days ago. I didn't exactly. Know yeah. So we we can educate ourselves by really just taking the time to do that. Listening to listening is obviously the first and foremost mm-hmm. thing that we must do. Listening is an action. It's not just necessarily just sitting there. So I know you've been to a couple, few, or many protests. Um, <laughs> what is that? I haven't been to a protest. Uh-huh. And last week, Matt, who was on, he's been to a protest. So I kind of had him talk about what that was like. So would you mind to share the experience or just kind of an overview of what that looks like in a general sense? We went to, I, well, I was at one last night at Lee University. <laughs> my views are my own, but uh, we were protesting the Confederate monuments that were going up. And at that point, while we were doing that, 
we were recognizing that uh, the protests aren't necessarily what we can, what I can benefit from it, you know, what, what I can benefit but from what we can do to create change yeah. into the world. And because of that, uh, we went to protest the Juneteenth rally in Knoxville at Coswell, Coswell Park on the northeast side. Uh, thousands of people there. There's a, there's a video of it on, on uh, Facebook floating around. I, I was really surprised. I was in the middle. I was towards the front, just a little bit behind at the front. And I was looking behind me and for blocks and blocks and blocks. You could just see thousands of people lying in the streets. And it's at first whenever I was going, and this is, I think this is an important thing. At first, whenever I was going into the mindset of create, wanting to create change, I was really, I was really nervous because yeah. I wasn't sure if I was going to be alone. I don't like, mm. <laughs> I like to do things with community. Yeah, I don't like to be alone. In the same way. Um, but the same. But when I got there, when when you get there, you just realize you aren't alone. You're not the yeah. only person. There will always be somebody out there with you in that in that fight. And so. The protests sizably large. I mean, you have you obviously have your signs. You have people uh, chanting, people shouting, of course, uh, marching down streets. We went through neighborhoods. We went down. It's, there's a street called Magnolia. It's a pretty, pretty big street down on the, up on the northeast side. And we marched this neighborhood. It's a police presence. Uh, my friend had mentioned it. I didn't even take. I didn't even notice. But my friend that I went with, he had mentioned that uh, the police officers didn't even carried any weapons, which I thought was really interesting. They had their pepper spray, but their yeah. guns weren't holstered. Uh, but we were marching around for a good couple hours. And it's, it's, you go in there and it's just a one track mind. It's, this is something that needs to be heard. I think that unifying stance, instead of having so many voices shouting on one side of one side, that unifying stance is you feel that solidarity and you feel that unity to get to make sure that your message is being heard and the message is being heard is this racism is an issue it always has been an issue we are tired of seeing it being an issue yeah um so i'd like to tell a quick story from this weekend i went to morristown this past weekend it's like an hour drive for me to stay the night with my girlfriend's grandmother and she was there and then my friend Matt was in town, and he stopped by, so we kind of stayed the night together. And we went to the park, um, just to go walk around and do whatever, next to her house, and there was a concert going on outside with a lot of people there, a lot at this park. And they had a stage set up, and I thought, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was some kind of rock concert or something, because it's in Morristown, East Tennessee, you know, so <laughs> not a redneck concert, maybe. So we were walking by, and I heard worship music, and it was a worship concert. So I looked closer and I started paying more attention and it was a, it was on Juneteenth. And I didn't really connect that at the time and it was a Juneteenth worship service with whites and blacks alike there together. And I thought that was the coolest thing that like I've ever seen almost. I walked by and I was like, dang, that's really, really cool. So we walked by and uh, on our way back towards the car, someone someone pulled up and screamed something at us. And, you know, everyone was kind of hype in that area, so everybody was, like, really happy. And I was, like, we screamed back. We're, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't even know what he said. And then someone else drove by and screamed the same kind of, like, tone thing. And we were, like, yeah. And then he turned around and looked me right in the eyes and screamed white power at me. And I was, like, oh, no, 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 I'm not with this guy. And he went down the road screaming very, very racist things towards the entire crowd. And I think that might be the first, like, 
real life experience I've had with racism. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't on the receiving side of it, obviously, but it almost felt like I was because I like I felt the heavy heartedness towards everyone who was hearing those things. And I felt the compassion that needs to be felt by people in that area. Yes. And that that's that is pretty much. Oh, good night. What was it? That's pretty much the experience of. Let me let me say this. <clears throat> in the current climate that we live in, we must be readily, we must be, we must be ready to accept the idea that Jesus identifies with the oppressed. Mm -hmm. Jesus himself was an oppressed individual. Yeah. In fact, actually, James Cone, who's an author, uh, even quite literally, we go as far to say Jesus was a lynched man. He was killed by the state for for bringing about nothing other than the, the good news of the gospel. His book, my friend is borrowing it right now. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of jealous of her because I, I would like to read it again. It is called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And it has probably one of the most profound messages of what we need to consider is that Jesus identifies with the oppressed. And if we're not willing to also identify with the oppressed, if we're not willing to be a witness, if we're not willing to put ourselves in those uncomfortable positions to identify with those that are oppressed, then we're not ever going to see Jesus. We're, we're not ever going to know who God is if we don't continue to look at how people are oppressed over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. There, <clears throat> if Jesus if we identify Jesus with being with the oppressed, then we must walk with the oppressed. We, mm -hmm. we always want to know how can we serve Jesus more? Yeah. Well, I mean, the Bible is pretty clear. Orphans and window, or, or not windows, <laughs> orphans and wid widows. Okay. Yeah. Those most marginalized by our community. In this case, where we have right now in the current story that we're in, the black community. Right. So we must be willing to accept that. We, what we have been taught, what we know, might not be the whole story. And the reality is, is that wherever Jesus is, we must also begin to be, to be in, we, or be, be where he is yeah. at. And, and we should seek after that. That's exactly right. We, we, need to, we need to be able, we need to be in a position to understand. We need to be in a position to look at an oppressed society, identify with it, and then empathize with that community. There's a difference between empathy and sympathy. Mm -hmm. Sympathy is, uh, well, at least you're not, you know, this or this or this or that. Empathy is, I can't imagine, but I'm going to try to understand. Yeah. And we need to be in that position of empathy. That's where our imagination comes in at. So Jesus identifying with that oppressed community, we also need to be identifying with that oppressed community. That's, that's the gospel. Of course. Is that a good place to end? Well, you know, uh, let me give this a quick word. I, I had a, I had somebody, he, he messaged me and, or some, uh, actually just right before we started, <laughs> somebody had messaged me and he was like, how, how are these protests? How, how, like, what, what are these things good for? Yeah. And how, how is this actually happening or how, or how is this actually helping? And somebody earlier, uh, today or a lot, very late last night had said, um, had said something along the same lines of, uh, what do you, well, like, we don't have to do anything. We, we pray, people know Jesus, and then because of that, they're healed by that. And they, yeah. and, and that, that's just, 
uh, watershed. And I just, I, I just don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, Second Corinthians chapter five. Uh, <laughs> we we have this ministry of reconciliation, not just necessarily identifying, but reconciling too. Okay, and and in chapter five, verse eighteen. It says, all this is from God, who, and you can read yeah. the part before, who from who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ to God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the measure, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in himself, that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6, verse 1, working together with him, and then it goes on from there. Mm -hmm. Reconciling, the ministry of reconciliation. We have this on our plate. Yeah. We don't get to choose to just, like, let it let it be. We, we have the onus of knowledge. We mm -hmm. have this burden of knowledge placed on us now by the news by media whatever you want to call it by the gospel convicting us as well we have that put on ourselves and because of that we now have the onus the the heavenly burden of bringing the message of reconciliation to this world and that is why we continue to protest that is why the voices will not be exhausted because the message of reconciliation is still not here um it's still not known worldwide per you know the issues that you were going with the other day and yeah. what <laughs> the many middle fingers i saw in the air last night mm -hmm. as we were protesting it, it's still not there and so until until that day comes we still have the ministry of reconciliation and until that day comes we will continue that message awesome ladies and gentlemen i think this shut off it did shut off okay ladies and gentlemen an amazing podcast episode from an amazing guest, Chris George. Thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Jesus Wave podcast. <laughs>